exploring the 402. Welcome to the Nebraska Hawksmith. These guys are brave. They're Hawkeyes living in enemy territory. Listen, these guys are way past their point. But they're still Hawkeyes. They're spreading the Hawkeye height to all of Nebraska. The Frost Advisory is canceled. Corn Huskers, more like corn suckers. Are you ready for this podcast? Welcome back to the Nebraska Hawks Nest, your Hawkeye oasis located in a sick little nasty Nebraska desert. Today, we are lucky enough to be joined by Iowa Hawkeyes kicker, Caleb Shudak. Caleb, what's going on, man? Not, not a whole lot. I'm going to enjoy a little break from football before we get back to work. But hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So. That, um, that, that beard's looking beastly right now. It's really you letting that baby just come in for, <laughs> for like an intimidation factor. I'm liking what I'm seeing. It had to grow it out for you know the cold weather. It's not seventy five and sunny like it was in Florida. So, uh, if you watch the show very often, you know Adam's got a lot of beard envy with some of our guests. So <laughs> I do. You're you're in select company, Caleb. I appreciate it. You made the list, <laughs> uh, Caleb. We want to start out asking you uh, really about what you have going on right now. Then we'll after that we'll probably dive back into you know your past, what brought you to Iowa. But right now, what's going on with Caleb Shudak? What are you? Are you getting ready for a potential chance at uh, the next level? What type of training you're doing? Where you're staying? What, what's going on with you right now? Uh, so the last couple of weeks, I've just been back in Council Bluffs, uh, working out with my dad, working out the Y before I go back to Iowa City tomorrow, and um, yeah, go start training there. From there, I just have a, I'm doing the East West Shrine game in Vegas in a couple of weeks. So that's kind of the, the big thing. It'll be kind of be a lot of fun. Spend a, spend a week yeah. in Vegas, play some football. <laughs> so um, other than that, just being at Iowa City training pretty much every week until pro day. And after that, it's kind of a crap shoot. Got to wait here from, um, wait till the draft and hear from, you know, different teams and hopefully, you know, we're going to yeah. find an agent too. So. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, a week in Vegas, is it going to be, do you get to go out and play at all? Or is it, is it all, is it all work when you're out there? Are they going to have you scheduled or are you going to get to have some fun while you're there? And do some I think, I think it's a pretty, own? I think it's a pretty busy schedule while we're there. I'm staying an extra day afterwards with my uh, parents kind of, you know, do hopefully I don't know say do Vegas because I don't know with COVID and all how that's how, what's open what's not but you know kind of hang out for a day and kind of check it out so I've yeah. been there once but that was kind of in passing on the way to the the Hoover Dam so all right Caleb so you're in Vegas you stroll into the casino you got one game you can play what's gonna be your choice uh, roulette Absolutely. roulette <laughs> yeah roulette. <coughs> really uh, yeah, game of chance a little fun I can I mean at least okay. in, you know Riverside I can kind of then th- back over. East side of the state and kind of throw around like five or ten dollars. And I don't know about Vegas, so I don't know if I have that kind of money. But huh, yeah, you know, you know, Caleb, just remember growing up in Council Bluffs, like you did right across the river, 
always bet on black. Leave the red alone. So, yep. you know, the, the black is what wins out these days. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Well, good enough. And on that note, then let's go ahead and take you back into, uh, you know, to start. Um, you know, it's been well documented that your dad was Jeff Shudak or is Jeff Shudak, sorry. Um, the, uh, you know, the ex-great kicker from Iowa State. I think he's still, when I looked it up earlier, he's he's still like third in the big eight and, you know, field goals made, attempted mm-hmm. and, um, you know, great kicker. How did that affect you growing up, and what was it like growing up? I mean, you played, like, I think every sport under the sun, too, growing up. Take us through the whole Caleb as a kid coming up through there and all the interests and, I mean, how you developed and how you ended up choosing field goal kicking. Caleb, hold on for one second before you answer that. I want to preface this, whatever Caleb's saying is – just because you grew up in a cyclone house or a Husker <laughs> house doesn't mean you need to follow other people's choices. If you look at Caleb, Caleb made his own life choices. So we don't want to hear those excuses. All right, Caleb, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so growing up, yeah, he was right. I pretty much played every sport you can imagine. I think I took figure skating lessons at one point, swam, played tennis, golf, tried track in high school, wasn't a fan. Um, yeah, baseball, football, obviously, but in soccer. So, um, yeah, growing up, kind of, my dad would always teach some of the local kids, you know, kicking and I'd get to tag along and shag balls and maybe try to hit a few here and there. And, you know, little did I know, he was kind of instilling these fundamentals in me that I didn't realize until, you know, I get to high school and realize, oh, hey, like, we need a kicker. I can do it. Got me on the varsity <laughs> team my freshman year, you know. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, oh, maybe I'm not too bad at this. And then it wasn't until about my junior year when I realized, you know, I'm not, not quite big enough to play baseball. I'm not, I don't want to play tennis or swim in college. And, I'm like, you know, maybe I could kick, you know, I'm not terrible at it. I still got a lot to learn from my dad. So, and then I was just kind of took some chances, put a little more effort into it. And yeah. And then next thing I know, I'm, you know, I'm at Iowa trying to you know figure out what I'm doing with my life. So, so uh, Kyle, Kyle Schlicker's got goalposts up in his backyard. Did your dad have anything like that set up in your yard then while you guys were growing up? No, we just had a, we had a tree right in the middle. So I know. We just uh, go stand on one side, and either which way, ever way I kicked, this tree was right in the middle, just try to hit over top of it. You know, mm-hmm. little me could never get it that high, but you know, I go out there now, and it's like, I don't know, it's probably only like 15 feet tall. So, all right, Caleb, Iowans joke around a lot and tease council bluffs, the whole council tucky <laughs> thing. Now, yeah. it's gotten pretty nice. Like, I've been to the downtown area, that's a really not talked about area a lot of nice bars and restaurants it's it's a lot of fun they've done a lot to improve that city now tell us a little bit about what you love about council bluffs what's some of your favorite parts about growing up there and maybe some places you'd recommend going to get something to eat mm-hmm. so uh, <clears throat> i mean first to admit i didn't i was a uh, so my final choices came down to iowa iowa state or um, iowa western actually and i'm like you know i gotta get out of council bluffs uh i've been here long enough uh knew everybody and then you know come couple years later in my college I realized ah, it's nice knowing so many people and you know the proximity Iowa Council Bluffs is to every place you know Omaha an hour Lincoln's an hour Des Moines an hour and a half hour 45 Sioux City's an hour and a half um was it Kansas City's I think two and a half Uh, yeah like the proximity to everything is awesome yeah um but yeah that's the best thing about coming home is like I just know I've been I went to St. Albert for so long so I kind of know that community those those people and then went to Lewis Central and you know went from 35, 40 kids in my class to now I have 225 and, you know, kind of started knowing that many more people. Yeah. I just, I loved that. And I really missed that. And like having so much family here, my dad's the youngest of eight and a lot of them stayed kind of local. So um, just having that much family, that's one thing I love. 
Uh, but places to recommend, I'm a huge fan of Barley's. They have this um, burger there, the cheeses. It's, okay. uh, it's like two two patties, bacon, <clears throat> an egg, and then sandwich between two uh, two uh, grilled cheese sandwiches. Wow. I go to. Other <laughs> okay. than that, I'm a huge Raisin Cane's guy. Raisin Cane's. Uh, okay. Yeah, I got introduced to that in high school, and I'm, I come home, and I just have to get it because the nearest one to um, Iowa City is Davenport. It's like an hour. Okay. Jerry, have you ever had Raising Canes? Oh, yeah. We've got one up here uh, where I live. I had it once when I was in Dallas, and I got sick from it. So I've never had it ever since. But everybody I talk to is like, it's so good. It's the best. It's the best. I'm a Chick-fil-A guy. I love Chick-fil-A. But uh, nothing wrong with Chick-fil-A. Yeah, but I, I, I'm going to have to, and you tipped me over the edge. I'm going to give Raising Canes another shot. I'm going to give them another try. I feel like you have to, you know. If people are willing to try a Runza, you have to try Raising Cane. So. Yeah, I know. I'm not. A, I don't. I'm not a Runza, Runza supporter because all like pro, a lot of their proceeds go to Nebraska athletics. So I'm like, <laughs> I got to put my money where my mouth is. So I'll drive past yeah. a Runza and starve if I have to. And yeah. that also the cabbage in those sandwiches tears me up. Like I cannot <laughs> handle it. Yeah, not for me. No, me neither. <laughs> So, so, Caleb, going back to the Council Bluffs upbringing, um, you know, if I read, if the internet was correct, you, uh, your brothers all went to St. Albert, and then you transferred, I believe, your freshman year to go to mm-hmm. Lewis Central. What was, what was the basis behind that decision for you? Was that sports related? Was it other related? Or, you know, what, what went into that? It was mainly um, sports related. So, the swim coach at the time, I knew swimming was one of the sports I wanted to do in high school. I never really wrestled, um, wasn't a basketball player, you know, being 5'6", five, 5'7", five, not really my forte. So, I was like, oh, I'm going to swim. And then my lifelong coach, who, I mean, I swam for 10 years before I got to high school. Um, he coached at Lou Central. And I'm like, hey, mom, like, I really want to swim for him. And I also, we were good friends with the Duggan family. And Coach, you know, Coach Duggan was still a coach mm-hmm. at the time. So I'm like, oh, kind of a no-brainer. Uh, I could, you know, have coaches that I know and grew up with still coaching me. And, you know, ultimately worked out for the best. I had the time <laughs> of my life at Lou Central, so. Right. And Caleb, with your kickoffs, man, like I don't, I can't think of very many that didn't go into the end zone. Uh, not a lot of returns. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have a time, whether it be in high school or college, where you were the last saving grace on the field for a return and you had to make a big tackle and maybe you got lit up or rocked or vice versa, like you laid the wood to somebody? Did you go, did you go all Pat McAfee on anybody when you played? Just laid somebody out? I wish I never had that opportunity. I only had two tackles in college, and I remember them both just vividly. Most memorable one though was against Illinois, or not Illinois, Minnesota, twenty nineteen. I just, I think, I don't know what happened. I somehow ended up like the thirty yard line. The guy was going full speed to, you know, my left, and I'm just like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to get around over there. He cuts on a dime, and I'm standing right in front of him, and on, like on his cut, he jumps, and I swear to God, his feet were like eye level, and I'm like, <laughs> he just jumped off one leg, cutting full speed. And I'm like, mm-hmm. luckily his foot literally like, got caught in my face mask almost. He fell. Oh, otherwise, yeah. I was like, I like, I was just so in shock that he made, he moved so fast. I was like, oh my god! Like, I was like, I, that's when I realized how athletic some of those people are. Like, you know that. Jeez. I think the guy was like six three, like two twenty, and I like he did that. I go, oh my! I couldn't even imagine. It was Jeez. the most unreal thing. But never got to light anybody up, unfortunately. And guys like me struggle to dunk on a nine foot hoop, and you know people are doing stuff like that. I can't even imagine that. Tackled with a face mask. I don't know that we've heard that one yet, Adam. Have you? I have never heard that before, but <laughs> it's still pretty cool. I don't think too many people can say they've done that. That's being crafty. Yeah, wasn't I'm not even like embarrassed about it at all. Just the fact that he could do something like that was just—I was so impressed afterwards. I, I, 
I didn't know that. I didn't, like now I'm like, I start no. questioning like how do the guys even tackle these guys in general? Like get an open no. field, got Jack Kerner making you know a yeah. 15, 20 yard run save and then saves the game. And I'm like, I don't know how they do it. There's no shame in that. If a guy can jump over my head, have at it. You know, yeah. like seriously, like that's insanity. That's yeah, unreal. Yeah. So, so Caleb, to that point, then, um, you know, as Adam was talking about the uh, the st- the leg strength you've got, you're you know, it's been well documented too. You're not that big of a guy, football mm-hmm. size wise. And I mean, how it, you know, it, what are five eight hundred and five uh, eight generous? Is it? Yeah, five eight one seventy five one eighty. Okay, you're there. you're a little bit more than what I yeah. And so that you know, what is the secret? at your size to getting that much boom into your kick, there's probably guys bigger than you that aren't kicking it as far. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what, what do you credit with for having that kind of leg strength? I, that's a good question. I, um, I, I really credit doing so many sports for so long. And when I was younger, I kind of really learned how to use my body, really work on my coordination and just body control. And, you know, got a little older, got a little stronger and realized, you know, like those, that coordination, those abilities are still there. And I think that's really helped me because I have some guys that only, only just kick and so they really don't know how to like activate their hips or get their hips through or allow their their core to really torque them through a ball Um, I think a lot of that comes with playing other sports you know learning playing soccer or even like swimming learning how to get off blocks and stuff like that but yeah I think just learning my body at such a young age I was able to I'm able to like translate translate that once I got a little stronger too you know once I hit the weight room I finally was able to hit some bigger balls but yeah okay Activate activate your hips, Adam. That sounds like something we have to do at our age when we just get up out of the lazy boy. So, yeah, I, I gotta I gotta stand there for about thirty seconds just to get things kind of warmed up. I don't want to just assume I'm gonna be able to walk with no problems. I might tear an ACL or something like that. All right, so we're looking at this kicking room here, and Jerry brought this up earlier, so I gotta give Jerry credit on this. I didn't even think about this. Miguel Racinos, Keith Duncan. Caleb Shudak, all in the same kicking room. Pull us into what those meetings were like, because that had to have been fun. Like three of the best Iowa kickers we've ever had, all in the same room together. All um, I, we don't know Miguel's personality too much, but you and Keith um, are known for having very, very strong, very great personalities. Like fans really love talking to you guys. Tell us about what it was like in that kicking room. How much fun did you guys have? And obviously, if there's any cool stories, we want to hear them. Oh, that's yeah. That was looking back and kind of crazy to think like that really wasn't that long ago. It was like I think four years ago. It was twenty seventeen. It was going to go or twenty eighteen. Yeah. Ago, senior year. Yeah, like because I remember the first couple of years, I was just so like, wow, the fact that I was in there, I didn't know what to do. I was really learning how to kick still. But yeah, we got to like twenty eighteen. We're all competing, and you know, Miguel's obviously had the reps in the games. Um, Keith played in twenty sixteen, so he obviously knew like what to expect and how to like. So that competition between them and then. You know, I got a little better and started, you know, gearing up, competing a little bit. And I think one of the big concepts, one of the big um, things I will harp on is, you know, iron sharpens iron. It's one of our sayings. And I think Keith, Miguel, and I are all just examples of that. We all, you know, I'd say reached pretty close to our potential because of each other. Like, I, I wouldn't be the kicker I was without Keith. And I like to think I pushed him to be one of the best kickers he could be. And you know, it was a lot of fun, too. We had a lot of mutual respect. We kind of knew, like – Hey, at the end of the day, we all want the team to win. We loved being at Iowa. We loved working out in the offseason. We loved hanging out with each other outside of the building. But, yeah, we just having so many guys that knew so much about kicking, I, I learned so much from Keith and Miguel. Like, Keith is just – Keith is a very good teacher. That's something I had to learn from him was, you know, how to break things down for younger guys to understand. And that's 
And McGill was also, he's very analytical. He was a very smart guy. So he'd obviously have these, like, he could have some really deep conversations about kicking, you know. I don't know how deep you can really get sometimes, but Miguel could do it. I and mean, it was a lot of fun to work with those guys. There had to be some friendly competition, didn't there, during practices or maybe unfriendly competition? You're all competitors. I mean, did, oh. you know, what do you do as field goal kickers? You know, who can kick the longest? Who can kick the, you know, highest degree of difficulty? What are what are some of those like? And, and uh, did uh, can you elaborate on who may have won any of those? Yeah, when we would do um, – Sometimes if we weren't kicking, we do punting, see which one of the three of us is a better punter. You know, obviously none of us are going to get in the game, but something came down to it. You know, we need like a four-string punter. We all want to know who's going to be the best guy. So we get a little chippy, a little little chirpy. But uh, no, other than that, we play like horse. We do like, you know, kick from over here, kick from over there. And then, you know, Miguel and I, our favorite thing to do was go back, you know, kind of far because Keith, Keith, when he was a little younger, couldn't hit it that far. He's like, screw you guys. You know, you know I can't go back there. I go, that's the point. You know, we're trying to knock your ass out. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, that was a lot of fun. But, yeah, other than that, it was just – in the season, it was more like compete a little bit, make sure, yeah. you know, we're helping mm-hmm. Miguel understand the wind for the game or, you know, determine yeah, whether the wind or the ground or the spots, whatever it is. So okay. Okay. Well, you didn't you didn't finish that, though, between you and Miguel. So you knocked Keith out on the distance. Who, between you and Miguel, who who could who was usually kicking the long – the uh, getting the most uh, distance out of the field goals? Uh, I, I'd say Miguel was. Unfortunately, okay. I hate to admit it, don't want to be – yeah, he's the better guy, but yeah, <laughs> third year I was still trying to figure out how to hit a big ball every time, and Miguel could do it pretty consistently. So he put me in my place a few times. I want to piggyback off of what we were just talking about, Caleb. Um, really, you epitomized, you know, what the Iowa program really tries to be all about. You didn't get to start right away. You really had to fight for it and wait your turn. And you have a lot of respect from Hawkeye fans for sticking with it and not bailing and transferring like the way the world is right now. If you don't get to play right away, people are out. They're transferring. They're hitting the portal. But you stuck it out. You waited your turn and you battled and you got your opportunity. Tell us about that process, how difficult that was for you, not being able to get the playing time. Because obviously, you know, we can tell you guys had great chemistry in that kicking room, but you want to play as do all the other guys do. And that had to get frustrating at times. How did you battle through that adversity? Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And, you know, a lot of people don't know if they know or remember. I did put my name in the portal, and, you know, I tested that a little bit. and But I was never fully – that was during the season, too, because um, I was trying to, you know, beat some applications for uh, grad school. Um, but in the end of the day, I, ended up, I wasn't allowed to stay, and, you know, they opened up a scholarship for me. And so I was more than happy to say, okay – Coach, I'll stay. It's all, you know, that was huge. So, to that point, Caleb, but, but I'm sorry to interrupt, but you actually had a scholarship order uh, offer from Wake Forest and while you're in the portal, didn't you? Yeah, I think Temple and uh, Wake Forest have, you know, extended me positions and opportunities. And, you know, I had my best friends with school at Iowa. I lived with, I lived at Austin Spewak for six years now. And, uh, you know, we had having guys like that around that lived with the same guys as uh, Sean Byer, Dallas Jacobus for um, three or four years. And so, you know, leaving that was hard for me. I was already I had already started my master's at Iowa too. Um, so ultimately, you know, I'd set a scholarship, say, hey, mate, might have to wait your turn, but we'll hey, we can help pay for grad school. And I was like, hey, that's that's more than enough. I just need an opportunity. And then COVID happened, and I was fortunate enough to get a sixth year. Um, I would have tried to take one anyway with a, a medical year, but no, a lot of people don't know. Like, it wasn't all, you know, glory and fun. It was like I had a lot of conversation with my family and my friends, like. I don't know if football's for me anymore. I'm, 
don't really know if I should continue with this. I had a lot, I, sh- I had an injury in 2017 where I started questioning, like it took me probably 16 months to learn how to kick again. Um, mm-hmm. I was struggling with that. And then obviously losing the job to Keith and I was just like, you know, maybe, maybe my, maybe the dream's over, maybe I should be done. And then, you know, I had such a great support group with my family and the coaches and my, my roommates, my friends that I was like, you know what, maybe I, maybe I just give it a little bit more track, try a little more, uh, keep pushing out a little longer. And then finally, you know, six year came around and, that point, I was like, "Hey, I've waited five years. I got nothing to lose, so I'll go out there and just bang the balls, and you know, whatever happens, happens." And yeah, it was a lot of fun, worth the wait. And hmm. but yeah, yeah, definitely struggled mentally with it for you know a number of months and years. Just kind of, do I do I do I keep going? Do I quit? Like, what do I do? So, okay. and and Adam's point, not just the patience that you showed, and just what you mentioned. I mean, how do you rehab as you're a kicker? And you just said you had to relearn how to kick, but you tore your Achilles in 2017. And I mean, how, how, as a kicker, how do you rehabilitate and learn to kick again like that? I mean, I, to me, I would think that'd be one of the most devastating injuries you could have had for your, for your position. Yeah. Like I initially thought it was career ending. Um, they were going there, giving me through like a timetable of everything. What, what was going to hinder me? What's going to happen? And I'm starting to think like, Oh, this doesn't sound too promising. Like my career might be over. I'm like, you know, I'm still kind of young. I'm, I was rarely, you, you see a 19 year old Terry Achilles. So, I'm like, I'll go through rehab and we'll give it a shot and then get like eight months in. And I'm, I'm still learning how to run. And I'm like, oh, man, like, it's taking a long time. I don't know if I can do this. So I had to learn to run before I could kick because I needed to be able to drive off my leg. And, um, ultimately, I didn't have enough like power for my calf to be as linear as I wanted. I don't know how to describe that. So when I kick, I kind of throw my legs like this now where I used to be a little more linear towards the uprights just because um, – I don't, I don't have that ability in my calf anymore to really get that push. So I had to learn how to like, you know, do, you know, throw my hips like that while without being. So just doing that, I got to bite myself in the ass. I might be able to pull a ball. I might shake a ball, right? Like how to learn the sweet spot and kind of, you know, what works for me. So yeah, it was just a lot of, took a lot of time, a lot of reps to really figure out what worked for me, how to adjust my distance from the ball, my width from the ball. Um, yeah, it was just it took a lot of time, but yeah, I think like 14 months later, 16 months later, I was kind of like, oh, I kind of got this figured out now. So, like the cool part was, uh, we interviewed Keith. We've interviewed him multiple times, but um, when he was getting ready for the next level and training, uh, he made sure he wanted to tell us all about his friend Caleb Shudak and who we were, what we were going to be getting from him, what type of guy. Uh, what type of worker and how consistent and um, Keith goes, I might be, I wouldn't be surprised if Caleb didn't miss a field goal all year. Like he's that good. And as good of a kicker he is, he's that good of a guy. Like, and he mm-hmm. talked you up a lot and we hadn't seen a ton from you. So we didn't know exactly, you know, what we were going to get. And Keith got us really excited about you. Tell us a little bit more about your relationship with Keith. Yeah. So that was, that was actually huge and instrumental in like kind of my, I'd say my mental health during that 2019 season, I was really struggling with, you know, him getting a nod, me just doing kickoffs. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of saw that as like a demotion, like, that's, like I'm not good enough. And, you know, Keith was very vocal with the media and the coaches and my, even myself that like, hey, like, you're really good. Like just because this happened, like you're still, you still have an NFL leg, you have an opportunity. He was very vocal with that, with the public and with the media. And, you know, I, even in like our, I don't know if he remembers, but our team banquet after the 2019 season, like, every time he would get an award, he wouldn't, you know, talk about himself. He'd talk about me and how I like helped him. And, you know, that was huge for me. And, um, yeah, that meant a lot. And I was, I don't know if I would play football, if, you know, he wasn't like that. So 
my respect for him and like our friendship is huge. And like, like I would solely say like he saved my career. Like I would, if he wasn't as, you know, didn't believe in me that much. then I don't, I don't think I would play football. So he's a great teammate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100% and, great he was, dude. and he was quoted in articles as saying that there were times he thought you were actually going to take his job as starter. I mean, just as follow up on that. So, you know, in a healthy competition, even among friends is good. It makes you both better yeah. in the long run. Yeah. So, some, Someone else I really want to, before we get off the uh, discussion about your injury, uh, Caleb, is uh, and doesn't get a lot of mention, was it was I re- we read that your mom, after your surgery, stayed with you in the hospital the entire week and mm-hmm. um, and basically was there with you until you kind of got you back started again. Tell us a little bit more about your mom. You know, dad gets a lot of the, uh, a lot of the press for his playing career, but tell us a little bit more about mom, if you would. Mom has been my number one supporter for <laughs> since I can remember. She's seen me, you know, at my best and at my worst, and you know her support never wavered. But yeah, I I remember that. So I had surgeries there for a night, and then she got us a hotel room so she could kind of take care of me. And I was living in like a third floor. I was renting a third floor apartment when, with no elevator, so she's like, "We can't, you can't go there." So I'll stay with you for as long as it takes before you can. I feel comfortable with you going up and down stairs. Uh, yeah, she basically did anything I needed because you know I was a, I was on every drug you can imagine. I was in so much pain all the time. So, mm-hmm. but no, even in high school, no matter what what sport it was, she was there for everything. Her and my dad made trips to every game in college, um, bowl games in college, even when I was just doing kickoff. So they're they're coming supporting me for, what, maybe sometimes it's two, three, four reps a game. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be where I am without them. They kind of they. Mm-hmm you know, raised me, instilled values in me that, you know, I'll take me for my whole life and also gave me, presented me, gave me chances and opportunities to do things that, you know, some people might not have and, you know, have those opportunities. But without them, like, I, I'm not here. I'm not, you know, they helped, put, helped me, put, helped get me through school, helped me live my dream. You know, there's no way I could have worked a full-time job and also walked on and played football. So, you know, they were huge in that. And, yeah, my parents just, my mom especially, just been such a huge supporter and kind of got me through some of my darkest days too with, injuries and you know losing jobs so jerry it's that kind of thing that i want my kids to say about me when i'm older right there that's what fuels me as a parent i love hearing stuff like that i I just hope mine just say well he didn't get in my way so yeah jerry's kids are like really really smart so (laughs) that that was self-development on their part (laughs) that didn't hinder us so that was a good thing so no caleb i wanted to sorry jerry go ahead no go ahead well no i just real quick and i was just going to say testament to mom because then uh you uh you know the weather may not have been conducive and you may have wondered what you were doing there but i mean you were back warming up at the pinstripe then in new york that year at the pinstripe bowl and I mean, how great of a redeeming feeling did that have to be after everything you went through that you were back on the field, even if you were freezing your ear off while you were at it? On an ice skating rink. <laughs> on an ice skating that rink. was a terrible place to play. <laughs> yeah, I was. that was awesome because I think that was more of like the coaches saying, hey, like you've put in the work and your rehab. Um, you're like medically cleared to put pads on. We probably never put you in the game, but they kind of let me put pads on, suit up. For, like, so I hadn't done that all year. And, you know, I got cleared like Tuesday of the game week. So I'm like, you know, like they're obviously like, – I haven't hit any balls in practice in you know a year and a half so or a year um but yeah it was, i was like oh sweet like you know i can kind of see it i was still in the middle of like my rehab actually but i was good enough to go out there and hit a few balls so i was like all right maybe it's worth it i can i can still do this you know there's chances so mm-hmm. 
Well, Caleb, it's time. I want you to pick up your artist brush and paint us a picture of the day of the Nebraska game on Black Friday. We like to call it Black and Gold Friday here at the Nebraska <laughs> Hawks Nest. Um, seven years in a row. We didn't think we were going to get that seventh year this year. Um, Jerry and I were in the stands. I was there with my family. There was some panic from Hawkeye fans. Um, I don't think I said a word for the first three quarters. I just sat there. And I just was like, oh, my God. This ha and I'm thinking to myself, I'm trying to rationalize it. This is winning streak had to end sometime. You know, it, it had to eventually end. This is it. I'm trying to tell my kids, hey, we're lucky that we got to come, like that we get to do things like this and bond as a family. And then all of a sudden there's a block punt and, yeah. for, and fortune, fortunes change. I want you to get in there and tell us about what the feeling was like on the sidelines. What were the guys saying? What was the feeling when you knew this thing was about to turn? And maybe a little bit beforehand, if there was doubt. Mm -hmm. I, it was, you could definitely sense the, how on edge everybody was getting as, you know, I think it was like out to like 17, six at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah that was, was that like, that was right out of, mm -hmm. right before half, I think. Um, yeah. We were, you could definitely see people were like, oh man, like, we're digging ourselves a hole right now. We're not playing very good football. Um, I'm like, we all and we kept saying like, Hey, like we're gonna need a big social teams play here. Like whether it's a big field goal or a big punt, but no one say anything about a block punt. So as soon as that happened, I, I think when you see, when you see Kyler get, get the ball, I don't know how he tracked it in the air. Like he's running backwards. Also the ball's in his arms. He's in the yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm scrambling to find my helmet. And I'm like, I'm walking <laughs> out there going like, I go, we're going to win this game. Like I, there was no doubt in anybody's mind after that. Like, we were still down, I think, you know, three or four points or something. And uh, I was like, there's no doubt we're going to win. Like, that was, that's just all we needed. And then after that, you know, the defense had some huge stops. And I know we had a couple more, more, more field goals, I think, were big. Um, but, yeah. But I think it was just after that, the sideline. I mean, everybody was standing up, everybody was cheering the whole, the rest of the rest of the second half. And I think you could just feel just the confidence everybody had. Like, hey, that was a play we needed. And now it's like, we're going to win special teams. And if we win special teams, we're going to win the game. And yeah. that was the edge we needed. So I really felt like that that was the epitome, especially in the third going into the fourth quarter. You saw two programs out there in very different places. You saw a winning culture, a team that demanded and expected to win against a team that expected it somehow just not to go their way. So um, that was, you know, that, that was very cool to see. And then also too, just to hear the life get sucked out of the building. Oh, Oh, I mean, I'm like, with, the, I'm with you, too. you could feel that, oh, like, you could feel the energy oh. from the fans coming to our sideline. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I had a guy turn a around at the end of the game that was very friendly to me the whole entire game. And of course, I stand up on the bleachers and I yell, seven years in a row, baby. Woo! <laughs> and he turns around and he gives me the middle finger and tells me where to stick it. And uh, <laughs> I was like, that's okay. I'll take that. That's okay. Let's, yeah, let's was, be honest. Let's be honest. It wasn't the first time anybody's told you that, Adam. So. No, it's not. That's probably why I handled it so well. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was so much fun. Like, there's not a team I would personally want to be more than them. Just growing up in County Bluffs, in the Omaha yeah. area, I just especially being like the one year like I'm starting. I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't lose to them now. Like we no. beat them my entire time here. Well, like, I just wasn't ready. Like, oh, but that was just so. Well, I, so I, there was, that's a game to remember. Like, I'll never forget that entire game. It just that was unreal. You helped keep us in that thing, Caleb. Well, I was going to say from a fan, from a fan perspective, Caleb, your field goal was what tied it at twenty one, and that was yeah. honestly when I start when you kicked that. I honestly that was when we started seeing Husker fans heading for the exit. They were already mm -hmm. giving up when yeah. you, when you tied it with that field goal. So if yeah. you, if it gives you any more you know any more uh, feeling of uh, feel goods, you know that's 
you know, you you were the one that basically helped break the back of the fan base. So. Caleb, uh, I don't know if you can see behind me over here. We got the Heroes Game Championship belt hanging on the wall. Let me get it uh, right here. Oh yeah, uh, that's you should get to get to at least see that the corn belt. It's uh, we take that to the game. I don't know if you ever that's got awesome. to see that. Yeah, but you helped bring that baby home. If we were going to lose, we would have had to put that in storage and hide it away for for a year. But it's it's able to breathe out in the air just because because you guys coming back. That was fantastic, man. That was <laughs> that was that was so much fun. I mean, granted, you know, I think the, the three win team. We we're like, oh, it shouldn't have been that close. Who cares? They always play us tough. Just the yeah. fact that we got out of there. And, we're down, what, what, like 12 points at one point. I'm like, yeah, not locking the promising, but yeah. Toward the end of that game, we were, you know, you guys were, the lines were really pushing them around. I mean, was there a sense on the bench over on the sidelines, Caleb, that, you know, their mm-hmm. conditioning was wearing out? We're, hey, we're, we're imposing our will on them right now. You could sense that with our O line, especially, I think, because we sit right next to them on the sideline. And I remember Lindy coming over, like, hey, we got these guys. So inside, I, I remember this number, like 92 or something. It's like, he's dead. We got him. We're going to push him around. We're moving the ball in this next drive. And so I'm like – then you could. I started seeing that. And I'm like, oh, like – that was after the punt too. And I'm like, if I'm blocking, I go, well, we got this in the bag. Like, I think that yeah. confidence was just – with the whole team, we all knew, like, we had a few plays here and there, a few throws here and there, drop balls. But, I mean, everybody just knew, like, we had this – I mean – I was fully confident in the team that we were going to win the game. So I was, this, was hoping that last touchdown drive was going to come down to a field goal instead. But hey, I'll, I'll take the touchdown. Which one of that game time. winner? Would you have blo- would you have blown a kiss if we would have won? Would you have done it? Please say I don't know yes. If I, would, I don't know if I would blow a kiss. That's Keith's thing. I was I was okay. thinking I was going to throw the bones. You know, I don't okay. know. What else so maybe, maybe like give a little bow or something. Something, you know? yeah. yeah. Uh, some push ups at midfield or something like that. Something like that. Well, you know, okay. you know I kind of. That's kind of a good thing when you say throwing the bones, you know, budget. I did that too, uh, the old extra Nebraska guys. So anybody from the area, that might be something to, something That's to keep what, in mind. Yeah, I was like, if it comes down to, I don't know what I'm going to do. I might just like black out in the moment, but like fully planned uh, on just throwing the bones in the 50 yard line. And, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. man. I might have not survived if you did that. I might've just lost it and, and freaked out. And you know, that, like you said, they were a three and 19, but they were, this is going to sound weird, but they were a damn good three and 19. Like oh, they yeah. hung, they hung in with everybody. Like they never got blown out. They were in every game. They just didn't close. Like watching that team out there and play, that didn't look like a three and 19. That looked uh, from like from our perspective, that's an eight and four, seven and five team. Hundred percent. Like they played Ohio State w- within ten points for most of the game. They played yeah. Michigan down to like the last two minutes of the game. So I'm like, like these aren't bad. The whole week we were all we kept saying like, guys, these guys can beat pretty much anybody in our conference right now. So yeah, like, they really can. Game. Like so, and it's a know, rivalry you, game. Like I don't care if they're zero and twelve. Like we want that blood. Exactly. So I'm like, I think we all were like. We gotta be focused on this game. These guys are a good team. Yeah, and, you know the record might not show it, but yeah, they definitely were a good team. So, yeah. Well, and before we leave the uh, twenty twenty one season and move on to other subjects, Caleb, I, there was a couple things that stood out from that Indiana game. I heard, I heard on one of your interviews there was a there was a story um, about T. Good takes uh, was it the first or second play for sixty yards, and you're on the sideline and take us behind the scenes with that as far as as far as uh, what you went through, not realizing you're going to score that quickly, and then. Secondly, also that Indiana game, I believe didn't they call, didn't they call three timeouts on you before half to try to yeah, ice my you first field goal of the game. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So yeah, take us those two plays, but take us behind the scenes on that long touchdown run you weren't expecting, and then secondly, you know what goes through your mind your very first game kicking as the full time uh, you know full time kicker, and mm-hmm. and they try to ice you with three timeouts. So then yeah. take it from there. 
so going off the run, uh, yeah, so we get to a point in time on the field, like about the, the opposite 40-yard line where I go, all right, we're getting into the range. We need like, a big play. We might be in field goal range here. So I get up. I'll, start, I'll get on the bike or I'll jog and I'll start stretching. I don't think we ever reached that point. So I'm just sitting on the sideline. Like, I'm joking with Ryan and Tori. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, uh, I'll start warming up here in a second. Tori's like, Tori's starting punting balls. And I'm like, yeah, like, oh, maybe we'll get there. And next thing I know, I just hear fans losing it. I'm looking for, looking at the board, trying to figure out what's going on. And I see T good running. I'm like, oh, shit, I got to find my helmet. Um, so I'm, like, standing up. And I'm like, I grabbed um, Arlen's helmet. I don't think Arlen was in the game yet. Um, and I'm like, that's not my helmet. It's got a visor on it. And I'm like, I'm going to have to wear this out there. So I, I'm freaking out, running down, like, all the whole bench. And next, so I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to miss the first PAT. Luckily, like, I found it, like, right after I thought that. And I get out there, I'm, like, so nervous because I'm like, oh, my God, I almost didn't make it out here. Um, so terrible kick, too, looking back on it. Like, probably the worst kick I had all year. Um, yeah. But yeah. awful. But it was a lot of fun. And, you know, getting to the ice, going back to, you know, what per half, I think it was, like, 40, 41 yards. Um, yeah, it was – they iced me the first one, hit a good ball. And I'm like, oh, so confidence is getting a little higher. Call a second time out, we still hit it. It's another good kick, and I go, all right. Like I'm not even worried anymore. So then, like the holders, like, hey, do you want to hit the third one? Because they're probably gonna use the last time out. I go, no, nah, like we're gonna make it now. I'm like, I'm just getting more and more comfortable. So I'm like, kind of hoping they do because I'm just kind of like feeling the environment. And you know, I think that really set the tone for the year. I was able to get almost four reps in my first one, and kind of, you know, I got re- way more comfortable like in that whatever five minute period it was. And you know, by the end of it, I go like, I was just fully ready to make the kick. And uh, like they can call twenty timeouts, I don't care. Like I was, it was a little field goal period. It was. Definitely kind of – I was actually happy the way it started, like, my – I'd say my career just because I got basically three tries, I felt like. So, yeah. I was a huge fan of it. Most people would be like – yeah, most kickers don't get nervous anymore when they call those timeouts. We just get more and more comfortable. So, I'm like, yeah. if they call it, please do. Like, I'm not worried. So, Well, we've talked about a lot of really fun, positive stuff right now. We're going to talk about one thing right now that – wasn't so positive and uh was just tough uh the citrus bowl this year um i was able to make the trip out there and had an awesome trip awesome vacation and it was it was great to see how we came back in that game and really seemed to have control of it there at the end and thought we were going to pull that one out Uh, pull, pull us into there on the sideline you know the thoughts and the feelings on the sideline and um you know with that one slipping away what was the feeling like after the game in the locker room Oh, can you hear me all right? Sorry, it's my AirPods died. So. Yep, yep, we can, yep, hear, you. can hear you. But, yeah, I mean, it wasn't until we got back to the locker room I realized, oh, man, like, it's over. Not even just that we lost. It was the fact that I might never play football again. Like, after that, there's nothing guaranteed. Like, I'm obviously going to hopefully try and get my you – know, take my chance at the next level. But then it really set. We got to the locker room. Camp started saying a couple words, and I go, I'm never going to be in this position again. And I, I just lost it. I was – I mean, it's heartbroken. I spent six years, which is a quarter of my life, at you know playing Iowa football, and it's all over. And I mean, I still remember freshman year like it was yesterday. So the fact that it all happened so fast is kind of definitely hit me all at once. And you know, I was spent a good hour in the locker room, just kind of trying to soak it in. I don't know if I ever put pads on, so I was just it was tough. But you know, the whole game too is like we just were right there, thought we had it. There's no way we can lose it now. You know, they had that huge drive at the end with like two or three big plays and. Like we get the ball back with like two minutes, I'm like oh, perfect. Like, yeah, we get we almost get field goal range within a minute. I'm like, oh, like I am ready to go. I mean, it's 80 degrees. There's no wind. I'm like, let's, yeah, let's hit a ball. I'm, I was pumped, uh, but yeah, unfortunately, you know, it didn't work out that way. So, 
just a yeah, just a lot of emotions at the end of the game, and yeah, it's just. Caleb, what, are, what were your guys' thoughts? Um, I know there was a lot of frustration in the crowd about the Kentucky players laying down, either dehydrated or having injuries. It really seemed like they were trying to stop our momentum and stop the clock. Um, there was a lot of talking, again, you know, not being in their shoes. You don't know if it's sure or not, but a lot of, um, you know, conspiracy, whether it was real or not, whether they're actually injured or actually having cramps. Uh, what, what were your guys' thoughts on all of that? I think – given kind of the temperature of the game and everything we were all were like you know they're pretty untimely um there's a couple of them i can recall where i'm like yeah they're a little sketchy but you know yeah. it's like we had some guys that were really feeling it too and luckily they made it to the sidelines first but you know i mean we were all like you know it's it's 80, 85 degrees right now it's pretty hot we haven't played in weather like this in two or three months so you know didn't try didn't like let us affect us you know obviously the fans were feeling it so you could kind of sense the booze and everything yeah. but, you know, the other day like we were all couldn't be mad about it because you know there's any moment moment time that one of us is one of our guys is going to go down because like we get on the sideline i'm looking over the old lineman they're just pumping fluids and i'm just hey guys get some water you have to drink it now and they're like you know they're stoked and i'm like yeah so fully yeah like given the weather and conditions i don't think either one either team has played in that you know so much all right all right so on that same subject same same question penn state that's that's where it gets a little more interesting, you know. That was yeah. three or four times. Like, I mean, you're talking like multiple drives in the fourth quarter, third quarter, even even late in the second half, I think, or second quarter, there was guys going down. And I'm like, like I know once we get on a roll as an offense, it kind of helps. And I think teams know that if we get kind of cold, we're pretty cold. So, um, I I just the fact that that happened. I mean, it had to have happened a dozen times. I don't remember, but I just remember thinking like, God, we might not be in field goal range now because. You know, we just had a five minutes of stoppage, so you know our momentum's gone. But yeah, that was that game was a little interesting because it wasn't it wasn't eighty five degrees, it wasn't hot. Um, yeah, yeah, it wasn't humid really. I'm like, it was it was a little, given how big the game it was too. Yeah. So let's kind of let's go ahead. I want to switch gears on you here a little bit too and talk to you about uh, Charlie Jones. Mm-hmm. And I'm asking you about Charlie Jones because from a fan's perspective, at least my perspective. Guys like that that are just fearless and punt returning and kick returning, you know, that that's a true returner. You know, you, sometimes you get converted skill guys that play it safe, a lot of fair catches and stuff. But, I mean, I think Charlie would try to return one in the middle of if all 11 hmm. guys were, like, in a circle around him, you know. You know how, I mean, you know, take us into the mindset. I mean, is that how he is that what he's like in real life? You know, and I mean, that, you know, take us into the mindset. And then the other side of that coin is, Caleb, how much does that play into your mindset playing other teams with a guy like that and knowing, you know, having to kick away from him or trying to game plan around him. And I mean, were there any guys that you specifically remember that you were kind of like, you had to make sure you were on your A game when you went against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Charlie, yeah, he's, he does that in practice, does that in games. Like after the first couple of times we like fully expect it to happen. So, like, I mean, when he's getting the ball, we're all standing up. We're all like something big might happen here. Regardless, Charlie's taking a chance and we all want to see what's going to happen. So, um, but no, like we treat him as like another like big part of special teams just because he does have that like wow factor. He does have that chance to just break one. So we all want to be um, watching and see, waiting for something to happen. Like essentially that's what it was. We were all just sitting around waiting. Like it's only a matter of time before something big happens here. So like, whether that's like we talk about in meetings, is, you know, it's a Tory having a big punt down at the five or, you know, having a big field goal late in the fourth quarter. And then, but no, on top of that, we have Charlie Jones go in that might have a big kickoff return at any moment. He's going to obviously take the punt no matter what. He's going to try and return it. I don't care if he's got two yards in front of him, he's got on top of him. 
I'd be ready because he might score. We don't know. So having mm-hmm. a guy like that is just huge for confidence and like special teams kind of, especially with ours playing such a big role in some of our games. Like those don't get, maybe spend a lot of time in film trying to get Charlie a chance because, you know, we know his ability. We know he's going to take those chances. So, um, Caleb wanted to ask you too about just some things that are kind of going on right now. And we asked you before, you said you kind of felt comfortable uh, talking about it with, you know, the recent articles that's coming out by, you know, some columnists that we'll, li- we'll, we'll leave unnamed that um, are being very critical of the reorganization of the, uh, the diversity committee. And um, David Porter, I listened to on the um, Hawk Fanatic podcast, I listened to it today, um, reference the Iowa players um, having not had enough life experiences to know what a good thing is and that they're too deep in the forest to see the trees. So if, if things aren't good, um, they wouldn't know it. And um, saying that the players are um, kind of almost idiots, um, which I, I had to rewind it three times mm-hmm. to make sure I'm like, okay, did he really say that? And I rewound it and rewound it and rewound it. Um, Basically, he goes, they're basically idiots. Now, um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? You know, obviously, if you don't feel comfortable answering that, we totally get it. But as a player that's in the program, that's, you know, just on his way out, um, you know, there's a lot of critical stuff going on right now of a program that we're all very protective of that we love. Um, we we want to see what you what do you think about everything and what um, about David's comments? Yeah, I think um, so. I haven't seen or heard everything. I've just seen kind of like, then the threads on Twitter, um, a couple of times people sent me some clips of some things that were said. Um, I mean, my first thought was just kind of, um, I started seeing everything when coach, the coaches staff and our program started making comments back and kind of seeing what's out there. But it's unfortunate to hear kind of how it's viewed from some people that is within the program. So being a guy within the program, like obviously most of us aren't as vocal about it. We don't talk about it, but we all know like a big thing with football last since, you know, June, 2020, was just unity and, you know, understanding everybody and knowing, you know, we're all on the same team. We play for the same team. We play for the same program. Um, I, you know, from being on the team so recently, I think, yeah, it was one thing that was huge about this team is I, I first tell you like that wasn't the most talented team we've had in my six years. And, but every, I mean, everybody knew everybody that wasn't like, you know, I'm, I'm paid to say it, but my freshman year, there was some, some guys that didn't really know the freshman didn't want to get to know the freshman um, even like some like second, third year guys, like, Hey, if they weren't going to play, they weren't going to try to get to know you. And I, yeah. I can't say that about this team. Like, you know, some, like some big changes were just, you know, we spent a lot of the off season, not just working out, but we also meet in groups and we talk to each other, try to get to know each other. And I think that played a huge role. Like, you know, we have 121 guys or something like that at some point. And, you know, I, I could probably name you every single one and tell you almost where they're all from, just because I've had enough conversations with the whole team and, I yeah. think that was one big change we tried to make was, you know, you should know everybody, everybody in the uh, the building, you know, from the custodian to, you know, the 125th guy, whatever it is. And I think that was one thing, you know, it's unfortunate that some people don't see that. And so they, when they voice their opinions, people jump on it. Cause you know, obviously we don't, we don't talk about it as much cause we're all, we were so focused on the season, so focused on, you know, yeah. growing as teammates, but you know, it's just unfortunate, you know, the fans and people read, one of the first thing I said, not not wait to get the whole story, which you know kind of sucks. But like coming from a, a guy that was just on the team, I that was one of the most fun teams I've had. And granted, it was my last year too. But you know, I friends with so many guys, hung out with so many guys outside of the building, and you know, a lot of them, I'll you know, going to be at my wedding one day, or you know, yeah. hope to see him when I come back in town. But yeah, yeah. It was not fun. 
I wish people got to see like that side of what we what we go through. So. Yeah. And I think the big key to everything is just really being open-minded, listening mm-hmm. to what everybody has to say, putting yourself in other people's shoes and just having a wide scope of vision on the whole entire thing. But, you know, my my problem with it is when you're the head of the committee calling the student athletes basically idiots and they're mm-hmm. not smart enough to be able to figure out whether they're in a good situation or not. That's not someone that should be in a leadership position, in my personal opinion. Nobody else's. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, go ahead. A lot of like a lot of us don't don't take that personally. I think I personally get more offended when people talk about coach Ferentz and question his character and who he is. And a lot of guys have like, those are some of the most amazing men and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, role models that I'll have the rest of my life. Like I've learned so much about myself because of them and have grown as a man because of them. And, you know, their coach Ferentz especially is so authentic with his words with us and and being with us and stuff. And, you know, people, unfortunately, you know, want to, highlight some of the some negative things out there about him but like no like to me he's one of the most authentic guys and i have nothing but respect for him and had nothing but an amazing experience playing for him we've interviewed hundreds of former players on this podcast and not one guy has said anything negative about coach ference everybody has the the phrases made me a better man made me a better person i respect the hell out of him like those are the things that always come up the guy's been leading our program for what 23 24 years you're, you stay at a place long enough, there's going to be people that are going to try to dig stuff up on you. We got a great coach, a great man. Let's get behind him and be positive and be supportive instead of trying to pick the guy apart. That's like a lot of us come to play for him. Like, yeah, we're starting team. Like, hey, like, I want to go play for a guy that's been there for so long. Like, it's steady, there's stability. And, you know, just when he meets with you, like, you can just sense his authenticity. And I think recruits see that too. And, you know, so people are coming to play for him, like whether you, what you say negative things about him or not, like that's what we're, we're play with him and we want to play for him. So, yeah, I just hope coach and not the coach cares what we think, but we just always as fans, like guys like Jerry and I just hope that, you know, coach Ferentz and Brian Ferentz and Phil and all the other guys know that the vast majority of the fans are behind him and deeply appreciate everything guys like you, Caleb and the coaching staff have done for us and for the the Hawkeye football program over the years. Hope they feel that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't speak so. for them, but I really, I think, you know, it's part, it's part of their job. They understand what's going to come their way and what's not. So yeah, they yep. they love the Iowa fan base and they're very, very vocal about that with us. Like, hey, we get to play in front of one of the best, most amazing fan bases and communities in the world. So yeah, we, we all enjoy it. So yeah. So, so Caleb, I, I, one last note on the coaches and take us uh Talk to us about LeVar Woods. You know, he's got a trajectory that's going nothing but upward. Take mm-hmm. us into what it's like to have Coach Woods for your coach. And, uh, you know, what's he like? And, I mean, just kind of describe that experience of, of playing for him. Yeah, so I was fortunate enough to be in the room when he was transitioning from our tight end coach down and then also now he's our special teams coach. He's actually meeting with us. So my first couple of years, we didn't have a position coach. It was just a specialist in a room. We'd watch tape and we'd go play pool or ping pong for, you know, um, an hour or so till dinner. Um, so no, then Coach Woods gets in there and he he has no idea what we do in practice. Like he doesn't know what's supposed to what's supposed to happen, how the periods are really ran. Like that was Coach White when I got there. He just was like asking millions of questions. At first, I'm like, you know, this is kind of stupid. He doesn't know he doesn't know, he doesn't know like, how to coach us or like, what we're gonna do. So, but you know, you get to know him a little longer, and he is so focused on like every little detail, like whether that's our practice routine, the number of balls we hit in practice, what days of the week we hit. Um, he like thinks about all that kind of stuff for kickers wise, not just like scheming the special teams, but like down to like how we practice. And we, we never had that. Like 
that was huge in our development, you know, for and then getting respect from the coaches because now we have like he sits in meetings with them and he knows exactly he sits in meetings with us so he knows exactly how to communicate what we're feeling and what they're feeling and you know how to you know generate that respect during practice. And you know, I don't think without that we were not attempting fifty yard field goals because I don't think Coach Ferris is really comfortable doing that a lot. But yeah. Um, yeah, without him, like the specialist alone, and you know, getting getting those specialists, like getting Tori, like realizing that like, somebody cares so much about all of us and our job that I think that was huge in like kind of just the overall development of the room. Yeah, I've, I've, I've talked to multiple people around the program that say Coach Woods just takes care of everyone around him, just a genuine great guy. And uh, I think we all, everyone that's you know, sees him, and especially you that know him, he's gonna the guy's gonna have a great career and is having a great career and um, nowhere but up. But we know I'm not gonna cut this off because I'm not sure if Jerry has any more questions. Jerry, do you got anything else for Caleb? <laughs> no, nope, I'm good. I think it's good to all end right. on a positive note here. Well, and, Caleb, uh, we're gonna end on an extra positive note because we always want to know a little bit more about the person, about Caleb. So mm-hmm. we're going to go in here, focus. Jerry and I are rolling into Iowa City in his maroon Ford Edge. Is it a Ford Edge or Ford Escape? It's an Escape. I'm not it's an escape. for an Edge. Okay, yeah. okay. We're rolling in, blazing Nebraska Hawks Nest stickers on the back, and, Tiger and Hawk there. And it's maroon. It's not red. It's maroon. Let's maroon. That right maroon, maroon, yes. Your, your favorite middle-aged friends, Adam and Jerry, are rolling <laughs> in for a good time. We're in Iowa City for a night, Caleb. What are we going to do? Where are we going to eat? Where are we going to have some drinks? What are we having? Like, what's And also, what type of music are we going to be listening to? Because that's big. Oh, man, that's a really good question. So, personally, I'd probably take you to the Vine just because I know I can get drinks there, too. And okay. <laughs> There's quite the variety, and it's close to my house. So, we'll go right. there. We'll go to Stella. I don't know. I'm a huge fan of Stella because it's literally right next to where I live. So. Okay. But uh, no, other than that, then we'll go back to go back to the house. You know, maybe watch some football whatever's on TV. Back to, you know, have a few beers. I'm sure my roommate Austin's there. He'll probably want to listen to his uh, you know, Chicago EDM. Um, that's it'll get get you ready for the bars, and then yeah, okay, so, probably a handful of them. I know my roommate Dallas. We go to L Race for him all the time, so I actually have a love going there. And then um, where else do we go? L Race Brothers is a good one. Especially Brothers is fun. Twenty-one. Um, I always feel weird going into brothers because I'm like, I feel like they look at me and they're like, oh, is that the parent of a college student? <laughs> I'm right at that weird in-between stage where I'm like, probably too old to be going there. Um, but I, a lot of the parents go to brothers. Like if, if it's like a parent weekend or something, like okay. we're all at brothers or at DCs too. But, okay. Uh, no, we'll probably go there and kind of close them down. All right. All right. So, so one little point B on this then, because you mentioned Dallas, we got to give him a shout out for We Wave and his music career while we're on here. But we if you're hanging Dallas. out with Dallas and you have that music career, you've had to have been to a dive bar or two to support Dallas. You know, what are a couple of your favorite dive bars in the Iowa City area that, you know, what they wouldn't go there normally, but Dallas is playing there or, or whatever reason that you end up there? He's got a couple, um, there's a Whiskey River in Palo, Iowa, which is like just outside of Cedar Rapids, this teeny little bar. Mm-hmm. That was probably one of the good ones because, like, I get there and I'm having some drinks, listening to them on, and I'm like, yo, I'm starving. This is going so long. Actually, some of the best food I've ever had. Like, their yeah. fried pickles there were unreal. I had a burger and I, you know, maybe it was because I was drinking, but wow, great food. So, like, that was one of my favorites. And then, yeah, but other than that, he really plays at El Rays a lot or he, he traveled down to Nashville. I want to go down there with him, but no, I was yeah. at Portland during the season still. But, yeah, I think Whiskey River was definitely my go-to because he's been there twice, and I went both times, and I was like, this okay. is sweet. So, What nice. a great guy he is. Oh, yeah. What a great guy. 
and he's so talented. Like if a guy like that can't make it, like how does anyone like he? The, the, he's a great singer, just a really good musician, wonderful person. He uh, did a small little show for us at our fan event in West Branch at the Down Under, and as you know, it's not a it's not a dive bar. I dive, have dive bars close to my heart; they're my favorite. But Down Under is not a dive bar. It's a super nice place, some mm-hmm. of the best food. But yeah, Dallas played there, played a couple songs, and it was a, it was a great show. He, he's very talented. You know, I, I remember when he started, you know, trying to learn the guitar and, you know, writing a couple songs. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, kind of give him, give him grief for it. But, you know, the other day he starts singing songs. I'm like, dude, your lyrics are actually like really catchy, really good. Yeah. And he starts like yeah. getting a little more into it. I'm like, dude, like. So, so entertainment talent scout is not in your repertoire moving forward. Is then? No, I guess not. <laughs> like, I would give him so much grief about it. I'm like looking back. I'm like, man, he ever makes it. Like, I hope he's still advising on the tour. So, oh yeah, come on, man. All right, Caleb, we're gonna let you get back to your day. We know you got a call coming up, but we just wanted to thank you again for an awesome year. You had just a phenomenal kicking year for the Hawkeyes, and we're gonna be all behind you, just like we were, Keith. You know, rooting you on, hoping you make it on an NFL roster. And if you don't, just keep grinding, man. We're going to be behind you all the way. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Caleb. All, all right. Thanks, Caleb. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.